Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. This is the podcast where we discuss what leadership looks like in the modern insurance business. We talk to insure tech leaders and founders, innovators and change agents from the insurance industry. We also talk to thought leaders from outside the industry, such as organizational psychologists, performance coaches and investment professionals. Anyone who can add value to the conversation on how to lead insurance businesses of the future. Hello and welcome to the Leadership in Insurance podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by Draw from Atidot. Um, Draw, how are you doing? Are you well? Good. How are you? Thank you no. for having me. No, no, not at all. Thank you. And and I'm running a sort of slightly um, ad hoc competition on who's got the best background. And I think you're Presumably, your children have contributed slightly towards the best background. As, as you can see, that, uh, that's how tall they get uh, where, uh, when they write on the blackboard. Oh, I thought you'd been mean and you'd wiped off the top and then you'd like written the, the company name. Or... No, it's, uh, I have a, a five-year-old and a two-year-old and, uh, and you can see like scribbles in, in like two and a half languages. <laughs> <laughs> That's super. Where are, you, where are you joining us from? You're on the are you on the east coast in in the states. I'm in the west coast. I'm oh, in the west Palo coast. Alto. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, of course. Yeah, I moved here um, about two years ago. Um, since most of our client base is American, mm-hmm. um, it made sense to to move the business operation to to this side of the world. Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, look, why don't we, before we dive into it, it'd be really great if you could introduce yourself and the business um, for those of the people that don't don't know what you guys do, if you'd be so kind. Uh, of course. Uh, so my name is Drokatav. I'm the CEO and one of the founders of Adidat. Uh, my personal background is Israeli intelligence. I served about 11 years in the Israeli intelligence building data solutions. I was part of a program in the Israeli army called Talpiot. Uh, Talpiot is a program where we do a bachelor degree in physics and math and do basic training with all the different branches of the army. Mm-hmm. And then you serve as an R&D officer having both um, the academical background and the practical experience. Um, and, and then you can develop technologies for the army having like, you know, both experiences, um, the, the knowledge and, and the experience from the field. And I was building data solutions for about 11 years um, as a software developer, team leader, product manager. Um, left left the army in 2016. Quite quickly, teamed with Barack Berkovich, who is my co-founder, and founded Adidat out of Israel. Um, and Adidot, and and we were looking for areas where there is a lot of data and inefficiencies, and insurance seemed like a a, a good place. <laughs> <think> um, <laughs> and uh, and Adidas is focused on on AI technology and AI data platform that helps life insurers to better understand how life insurance policies behave over time. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to use a lot the term life insurance. I'm using the the, the term life insurance uh, with a capital L, like all the different products, term, UL, or, you know, universal life, whole life, um, annuities, et cetera. Um, and by better understanding the policy order, insurance companies can improve their lifetime value dramatically, um, both through better experiences to the customer, as well as rethinking of pricing, distribution strategy, operational efficiencies, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's what we do. Um, we, we raise about $9 million to date, um, and uh, we have an R&D office in Israel. Um, we have business operation 
in the UK and the US and work with uh, some of the um, some of the biggest companies in the world, including Pacific Life and Guardian Life and a few others. Fantastic, fantastic. And how long have you been going now in total? What's what... So, so we started the company in 2016, um, and um, you know, life insurance is not the the quickest adopter of technology, um, but uh, but we do see a lot of uh, um, a lot of movement in this direction in the, in the last couple of years, especially post COVID, um, and, uh, and and the business is doing great, so we we are very happy. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Yeah, no, no, good, good. Well, I mean. I want, to, I want to go back to that kind of origin story as well. So you come out of the army, um, you're looking for, how did you come on to insurance? Did, did, do either of you have a connection to insurance or you were just, did you, did you discover the inefficiencies on your own? Or was it a, were you a consumer and you spotted them that way? What was, how did that, how did that come about? So um, we, we were introduced to insurance through family. I have a, uh, I have some family insurance and my co-founder have some family insurance. Um, but it's not necessarily that we knew we want to focus on insurance. I think the experience we had when we were looking for ideas and we looked at a few different sectors um, with insurance was like, you know, any stone you turn seems like, you know, looks like a rabbit hole. You, you meet a company and it's like everything you see them do, um, at least in 2016, was not speaking the, you know, the language that we saw in other industries of, you know, data and digital and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like a, a, a huge experience for us when we were talking to the companies and we asked them, you know, how do you think about this risk model or that risk model? And, you know, th- there was just huge differences and in the way they things could have been done, uh, which drove us there. And obviously life insurance is the type of industry where data should be king, like you know, uh, the, the, unlike you know, Coca-Cola, you don't have like a, a secret recipe. Mm. Secret recipe is having the data, understanding the data, understanding the risk, uh, coming up with better strategies around that. Mm. Um, so, bringing better data and being bring better technology to analyze the data seemed like a good fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you consider looking at non-life insurance first or is it just that the opportunity is greater for what you do within life? So, uh, yeah, we, we looked at different different sectors of insurance. Uh, I think what we liked about life insurance is um, the unit I'm coming from in the army it was was focusing on, on like the super special project. This was kind of a special forces type unit where... Um, each year, the Israeli government picks like five, 10, 12 initiatives where they say like, these are the things we want to know about the world. Um, and, and those things could be as, you know, undetailed as what's going to happen in Syria, what's going to happen in Iran past nuclear deal, mm-hmm. you know, what, you know and, and things like that. Um, and my unit was the unit that was responsible to take each one of those questions and try and unbundle this with technology, with operation, with data, um, and come up with the right answer for, for decision makers. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were kind of tuned that that's the way we brought up to think about the challenges that everybody tells you that they're kind of unsolvable. Because um, that's like, you know, in the, the Minister of Defense sitting in a sitting in, in the government and saying, you know, what's going to happen in Syria? Nobody knows. Let's give it to that unit. Let's see if they can figure it out. Yeah. Um, 
And life insurance had the same attitude. Like when, when you talk to companies, they said, you know, especially 2015, 16, 17, many companies were looking at, at PNC, like how do you do like better telematics or, you know, this or that and tracking the car and tracking the driver and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, and when you spoke to life insurance companies, they said, you know, understanding the policyholder is just something we would never figure out. It's, it's just not going to happen. Like, you know, companies tried, companies failed. It's something that just won't happen. And that's like the kind of things that trigger people like us to say, uh, you know, if, that, if that seems like the tallest mountain, that, that's where we want to climb. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah that's, that's a special kind of mentality. So you, you're <laughs> running towards the biggest fire, right? Going, that's, that's the problem I want to solve. <laughs> there are some upsides. The upside is that for like three, four years, we were the only one there. Like, you know, when we went to the first Insure to Connect, when the, 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 event, the event in Vegas, uh, the first, the second, when you were looking for life insurance startups doing something beyond the acquisition of the policy, there was nobody there. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, you know, and, and you meet the company and you say, okay, so you acquire the policy order. Now what? And I say, we don't know. <laughs> and, 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 and then like, you know, have, having a company that is focused on that area mm-hmm. um, created a lot of value. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I bet, I bet you, you long for those days now where you're the only person uh, playing in that room. But um, so talk to me more about the kind of like, how does the business engage with, with these um, life insurance partners? You know, what, what, what specifically does your you know, product suite allow them to do? So uh, the, the thesis is basically that um, life insurance used to be in, in the days of high interest rate and practically like a, where customers were less financially aware. Um, the business was like, you know, I w- companies were driving policy orders in and I acquired a customer and then I just let them sit. They're going to pay their premium. They're going to stick with me forever. And I don't need to do anything beyond that. Mm. Um, that, uh, that felt like the thesis five, 10 years ago. Um, but but the, the world changed. Interest rate is lower. People have... Um, you know, people expect different level of service and all this question of what happened post the first sale, like essentially we were in an industry that's called financial services. Like what is the service that the insurance company provide post the first sale? It becomes a question that no the companies or the customers know how to answer. Mm. Um, and, and what we're trying to do is to use the data to better understand how the policy order is going to behave with the policy, what type of levers they, they're expected to pull or they're pre- predicted to pull in the policy, what, ter- what dials they want to turn, um, and then use this information to do both things, help the company provide better service to the customer. Um, and for example, one of, the, uh, one of the first models that we developed was around underinsurance. You might not know that you're underinsured because you have insurance. But you bought this insurance. I bought my insurance when I joined the army in uh, 2005. And, you know, since I joined the army, things change in my life. I have kids. I moved to the U.S. I have a company. Like I, I did different things. I'm still stuck with that insurance. Is this the right fit for my current needs? Probably no. Yeah. Um, even if yes, all the cadets in my class have the same insurance. So for some of them, it's probably no. Yeah. Um, 
and, and people are not aware that they might be underinsured. Um, and, and by understanding that, the company can provide better service, which is educating you about your insurance gaps and providing the right products and can benefit financially by selling more, selling more premium. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the same note, the, the same question can go to the financial backend side. Solvency is a big trend in, in, in Europe. Uh, PBR is a big trend in the US. Uh, there's a lot of questions around post-level term um, and, and some other technical you know, discussions that we can dive into or can decide not to dive into in, in this podcast. But uh, uh, there's a lot of technical questions around how you think about pricing and real-time underwriting um, and a- estimations on the book of business to make sure that your liabilities are managed adequately. Um, mm-hmm. And policy order behavior is a huge driver of the liability in, in the world of zero interest rate. Mm. Yeah, well, I, I, I do want to I do want to dive into that somewhat. Um, I wanted to go back to this thing about the customer because I think that's one of the inherent challenges in the insurance model, right? Is that I buy insurance in the hope that I don't use it uh, for anything. Almost, you know, so, yeah. Any any claim event is usually an un, unwanted event. So um, something that came up in the podcast before, it's very difficult for an insurance company to build rapport with me, a, a relationship with me as a customer, if the only touch points are when I renew, because it's only ever a cost. There's no like, there's no touchable, there's no benefit I can put my hands on. And, 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 and you know, it sounds like you're sort of going some way to addressing that, because at least it's kind of driving engagement with me as a, as a consumer. So we are uh, we were really inspired by companies that rethink uh, the way the customer behavior influenced the, the company. Again, you're right. It used to be I'm selling you insurance, and the next call I'm going to get from you is not going to be from you. It's going to be from your spouse uh, when when something happens to you, and that's a really bad product. If I, if I cannot communicate value to you throughout this journey, I'm not providing service. So why should you pay me? And, and when we started to think about it, to some extent, insurance is like a subscription. Think about your Netflix subscription. You're paying, quarter, you're paying monthly or annually or quarterly or whatever, and you get service. And when you don't like the service, you stop paying. Um, insurance should be in that point where insurance companies provide service. And this service is, is important. This service is, uh, you know, risk management, it could be hedging different life, you know, life situations. Um, it, it's, a, it's a valuable product. Um, but to be able to provide this service, I need to be able to provide you value along the way because you're paying me subscription, you call it premium, but it's from a customer perspective, you're paying me some annual fee for me to hedge this risk for you. And I need to be able to communicate this value over time. And, and there are different ways to do that. Many of that is just by understanding what is your current situation how does how is that different than the time when you bought a policy and provide the right you know the right product to address your needs either as a variation of your existing product maybe it's an upsell or cross sell but you may need more protection because you have more kids you may need um, a better tax planning because you just got a bonus from 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 your workplace you may need um to rethink retirement because your lifestyle changed and now your retirement savings are not, you know, in a good fit to what you plan to do. Um, there are a lot of different things that you may need very, very often. And if I'm an, as an insurance company, I'm able to 
get you on a phone and tell you, or get you in a meeting, or get you in a Zoom meeting and tell you, this is what you bought, this is what you probably need, and I, and and that's a discussion. Maybe you need something different. I want to understand better. And those are the gaps, and this is how we can fulfill those gaps. Then it's a service that you know th- that there is value that customers would pay for. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually it's a win-win. It's usually a way for the company to reduce the risk, you know, increase the premium while providing better service and improving the satisfaction of the customer. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, I think sometimes that gets missed, I think, but when we're looking at kind of modern analytics and, and, and machine learning, there's a, there's a lot of kind of talk about kind of reducing of cost, particularly in the PNC market. We talk about that a lot and sort of, and we, we forget about the other side of it is, is that, it allows you to do other things is to understand your customer better, offer better service, offer more, offer more premium services, um, you know, better quality because everyone's prepared to pay for something um, if, if they can see the benefit of it. But so much of insurance, particularly personal lines insurance is driven by cost um, or, or life insurance is driven by cost because you, that's the only part you see as a consumer, you just go and, and you think, you know, you used the term earlier life with a capital L um, that's most people's understanding of their insurance, you know, life for the capital. Well, they, they probably don't even know which specifically cover that they need or which type of life insurance is best for them. So I think that's, I think that's really interesting to come out from that perspective. I was thinking while you were talking, you've, you've come up with this kind of ability. I know this is a very complex um, thing and a huge sum of money would have to be raised, but did you ever entertain the idea of looking at some sort of digital life insurer full stack or, or, or some kind of play because obviously there's there's been a bit of a growth of new kind of life type insurance entities particularly in the UK that's my exposure to it um, did you think about doing that or were you always kind of focused on providing a service to the existing marketplace so there is there, there is one thing that we do in in our niche and we're probably going to do more and more in in the future and the first introduction to that is uh, is a partnership that we are launching with with God in Life, um, and and this partnership is actually focused not on acquiring new customers but on servicing the existing customers. And there is a big issue um, across the world with agents turnover. What happened is, and we all know that that a huge percentage of the agent agent base is leaving the business after two, three, four years. Mm-hmm. Um, the agent age is uh, the, the average age is increasing. People are retiring, and so on and so forth. And what happened is that the policy orders move from getting let's call it average service to get no service. Hmm. Um, so regardless of the service we talked about, there was a there was a huge population within the policy order community, about a third of the market, that get practically no service because the agent left the business. The policy is reassigned to this random person who is, you know, who falls in, in, in this category. It's usually the new guy that, that, that gets, you know, to, to be trained on, on this new, on, on that policy and the policy order gets no service. And what we decided to focus on with, with Guardian is on taking ownership on this book of business of their non-assigned, reassigned, often policy order, policy orders with no agents, uh, with no active servicing agents and think about, how can you provide them service in a scalable way? So I'm obviously not gonna have, you know, like Guardian, thousands of agents across the country. 
I'm going to have technology, but this technology can help me better understand their policy, where they should be, what the gaps, how do I fulfill those gaps? And then I just need to get them on the phone um, or get them in a meeting or get an email in their inbox where they can make certain actions. And when we started to think about this, it was actually during, it actually started during COVID. So like during COVID, there was a lot of different things that insurance companies could do to provide relief to policyholders in many different ways. Um, for example, in the US, there was a period of time where even if you didn't pay your premium, that insurance company could not lapse your policy. Yeah. Um, for example, many policyholders have cash value. So you could borrow against your cash value instead of looking for alternative ways to get a loan. Um, and a lot of different other things that companies could do. Um, but to come up with this decision, distribute that to the field force, usually takes forever for a company. Um, and when we started playing with this idea, we said, okay, so what would have happened if we had an, an engine, a machine that understands this insights immediately, understand who it applies for immediately, is able to reach out immediately. And then all the thing the agent needs to do is to fulfill the, the request from the customer. Um, and kind of like, you know, shift the pyramid upside down. And instead of relying on the agents reaching out individual by individual and, you know, playing their scripts and hoping the customer buys, I think about how can I know in advance who needs that? Put it in front of them, have much higher conversion rates, obviously, um, provide much better service. You're going to get a, your personalized approach. You, Alex, this is your policy. This is what you need. I'm your insurer. I already know a lot about you. Um, and the only thing you need to do is like click here and there. And if you need to jump on a call, you can jump on a call and your agent would be on that call um, and, and fulfill this gap. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's super. I mean, it's... I, I, I wanted to ask you this question, and I, I know we talked about this briefly when we had a, a call before. Um, you mentioned it there. It's like it's hyper-personalization, right, of my insurance experience, which is fantastic. Um, but um, I've, I've always seen there an inherent risk with hyper-personalization of, of kind of risk analytics and understanding of, of, of risk because, you know, the law of large numbers applies to insurance, and, and it's it's the what makes it work. And... Um, we kind of burden the cost as, as a society for kind of people that are slightly high risk and it kind of you know it distributes itself to a point where we can still make profit obviously we can't we can't we don't underwrite with the hope that we pay everything but but it is kind of inherent in that do we risk with kind of increasing better understanding of um analytics personalizing our risk data to a point where some people are utterly uninsurable but who really need insurance is that is that potentially a risk that could happen? I actually think it's the other way around. I think that if you can provide this technology, um, you open the market to policy orders that previously were falling between the cracks. Mm. Um, because uh, the one size fit all uh, doesn't, doesn't fit all. <laughs> and, and you already face this issue. There is a huge population that is uninsured, underinsured um, across the world. Mm -hmm. um, I think by that, that by having a, a, a think about it this way, um, for a policy order that already acquired a policy, if I change the terms, I bump the price, then I'm only going to get stuck as a as an insurance company 
with the policy order that, that cannot afford other policies because you know, something happened in their life, they're probably a bad risk. Um, and if I don't bump the price at all, I might have underpriced a policy and going to get stuck with this policy for life that, that is significantly underpriced. And usually what happened in those cases is that the insurance companies are trying to, um, as, as you said, so like play the game of big numbers, uh, of large numbers, pull, pull people into buckets and say, you know, all the 40 years old going to get a price bump, the older 50 years old not going to get a price bump. Um, and there is a lot of variability within that segment. Um, if you're able to get a, something that's significantly more personalized, maybe this 40 years old is actually more similar to this 50 year old, they just didn't fall in the right bucket. And you can group the population differently and say, those are the ones that, you know, I'm willing to take the risk. And those are the ones that um, to take the risk, I would need to rethink pricing. Um, and, and there is a whole spectrum there, but it's gonna rethink the way insurance is, is being done. And the other thing is that it's also gonna be much more expl explainable. So if currently, if you're 40 and the 40 year old gets a price bump, you cannot turn 50 overnight and you know, don't get your price bump. But if the price bump is coming because um, certain parameters in your policy that is not your age, because now you are able to personalize it better, the amount of savings you have, the, the way you distribute your policy, the, 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 the premium level that you're paying, your face amount or something like that, there, there are other parameters that you could play with that the policy order can have influence on. Um, and, and the policy order can say, you know, my threshold is that I'm not willing to pay more than $5,000 a year, but I'm also, I also think that I need this policy until I'm 120. So there is like, you know, there's a zero sum game. Um, and being able to run this analysis and say, if I want to, if I want to be there and I'm only willing to do this, this is what I need to compensate on. But if I'm willing to change my parameters or change my uh, restrictions, then I can go different ways. It becomes a product that is more um, suitable to bigger population because it's not just, you know, you to buy, you know, a $1,000 policy or $5,000 policy, or, you know, either buy this or that. Um, mm. You have all the spectrum in between. Mm. It comes back to that communication. I think you're so right. I mean, your policy just goes up. I, mean, I was just thinking that you're saying it. I'm 39. I'm turning 40 this year. And I know there's certain things like that will either get cheaper just automatically because I'll be a lower risk. And in other areas, you know, maybe life and health insurance. Like that. With some people, that could be like a lazy metric of going, right, well, you're more expensive now. Um, uh, whereas, you know, because it's the pandemic, I've, like, like a lot of people, I've stopped drinking for about 18 months. So my, um, my, my risk has probably gone down dramatically. Um, um, but talking about the kind of customization, the, the private, the, the personalization, um, there's two sides to kind of this analytics piece. So I was trying to sort of figure out where you plug into these businesses, because obviously there's a kind of like marketing front end customer facing elements, um, and the actuarial data, um, is that is that my is my understanding correct? You're kind of like implementing on yeah, has an it has an impact on both sides or so, so the, we take a different a different take on on the way insurance companies you know you, you're you're describing this like an insurance company thinks about it. Sure. I'm 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 a factory. I'm producing policies. Yeah, those are shoeboxes with policies that I need to push out the door. I need to have a distribution that takes this shoebox and get it into you know the retail store. 
Yeah. Um, therefore, the business is split between you know the, the production floor that produces the shoe boxes and the distribution side that needs to push them out the door. Mm-hmm. And that's that's that makes sense because that's the way the world was built, you know, four years ago. But if you think like you know, like an Amazon, and and you know, Amazon doesn't think like here is the warehouse and here is the customer. It's like it's all intertwined. Yeah. If I need to think about the policy order, the policy order has certain products, have certain bundles of products, have certain experiences that I want them to experience. And this might have impact on the way I'm marketing. It might have impact on the way I'm pricing. It might have impact on the way I'm servicing. It might have impact on the way I'm doing claims. It's going to have impact all across, you know, all, basically all across the business. Mm. Um, but it's moving to put a policy order in, in, in the center and think about the, the way the policyholder experiences the policy and not about how do I make sure that, like to some extent it's changing the dynamics that is like, you know, a common truth that insurance policies are sold, not bought. Yeah. Um, if you try and think about why does customer, why do customers buy and put that in the middle, you can change the dynamic. And then it's not a question is, is the data influencing pricing? Of course it influences pricing because I'll give you a, 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 a concrete example. Many insurance companies, when and all the digital players and all the D2C activity around term insurance, is basically focused on the fact that term produces such a low, you know, such a low premium and such a low margin that I must push CAC down way below that that threshold. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody is focusing on how to, you know, to and it's a cap growth market. How to drive the acquisition cost down. But if five years into the policy, I'm able to convert you from a term life policy to a whole life policy, to a savings uh, policy, to an annuity, to a unitic policy for, for the UK audience, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe I'm willing to pay even more on acquisition because that policy is significantly more you know, fruitful for me as an insurer. Um, provides completely different coverage for you as a customer. Mm-hmm. And if now I'm thinking about you as a customer that have this journey and, and going to buy a bundle, I'm willing to pay more in the front end. I'm willing to take different risk at the front end because I know that I'm actually focused not on the first policy you buy, but on the third, fourth, fifth policy you may buy in the future. Yeah. Um, and this is the area where we're focusing. Um, we so we're not coming to, to a company tell them we will optimize their, their journeys for buying the first policies. There are a lot of good companies doing that. We partner with many of them um, on the e-app side, on the direct-to-consumer side, on, on you know, all of this. And we're good friends with, with all of those companies and partners with, with most. Um, we're focusing on, on changing this thinking process to how do you think about a customer uh, as, as an asset mm-hmm. um, and think about a lifetime value instead of thinking about how to optimize this one policy that got sold. Yeah, yeah. I was really smiling when you said that because um, one, it was quite funny because I thought, yeah, no, I am. I'm thinking the same way that the insurance company currently or, or has historically thought about it. And, and it's funny because the reason I'm laughing is because I'm really critical. I'm being quite openly critical about, um, you know, 
data science came fairly late to the insurance market as opposed to other markets. But as, as those roles started emerging as that genuine data scientists going into insurance companies, um, I don't know, probably a decade ago, there was this, and there still is this debate about where they fit within the insurance organization. Um, and then quite a lot of companies went, oh, well, it's, it's data, it's in an insurance company, it sits in the actuarial team. Um, and I've, it's changed largely, but I've always just thought, well, data science is at the top, and then you've got all these data sets that plug into it. So it might be marketing, it might be um, actuarial, because it's a, then you've got a holistic view of kind of the data set and, and the value of that data set, and you can apply it to your business. Um, but I thought it's really funny because I caught myself doing the same sort of thinking because it's, it's, it's not, that's not the relevant thing. The relevant thing is is how it all kind of links together and, and the customer at the center um, and that bought, not sold process and the, the, the mindset of that's really, really interesting. But that does make me ask, in, in your opinion, do, do kind of, uh, as we kind of machine learning gets better, model analytics, do you think that starts to make things like actuarial science a bit obsolete in things like life or well, certainly in the traditional context were, were actuaries absolute when uh people invented spreadsheets like you know they, they moved from being the only ones at a company that can count to being you know somebody that can run the spreadsheets now they can be the somebody that runs the models and our goal is to say this is all just a new tool instead of driving you know an, an, an old car you're driving a new car the more important question is where, where do you want to drive? And we can help you drive there faster, better AC, you know, fancy leather seats and everything. Yeah. Um, but we want to be in this level of discussion and which is not like where does the data sit in the organization? The data sits everywhere. And data science is needed in each and every department and it can empower everybody in the organization. The question is, where does the business want to drive and how do we fit with that strategy? Mm. It's like when you go and buy a car, you know, if people would say to you, look, I'm opening the hood, under the hood, there is this beautiful cylinder and you don't believe how better it is than the cylinder you had in the previous car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, I don't know, maybe, yeah. maybe it's good, maybe it's not. It is shiny. I don't know if my other one is also is also shiny, <laughs> um, but is the car red or blue or green? Yeah. <laughs> or, where is it driving? <laughs> How many seats does it have? That's a question that the data science, the data science and the actuarial side was not asking at the last few years, which is more important than how beautiful the cylinder is. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, that's, yeah, it's a really nice analogy. I actually quite often use a similar analogy to about like why people buy jobs and, you know, um, the narrative is more important than the fact, you know, like we, we in, in the context of kind of selling jobs. Um, but that's really, that's, that's, that's interesting. Um, so with these C plus students that we have to uh, deal with, uh, <laughs> is, that, I, is it sometime, I, I suppose, look, there's lots of really smart people working in insurance companies so it's, and, it, and it's obvious that, that, that there's value in this. But um, I suppose what I was thinking while you were talking about the business is that um, your touch point into the business, selling the product into, you know, selling the services of what you do into the business, um, does, that, does that sometimes present a challenge of buy-in, you know, or, or is it just... The world's moved on and people kind of accept that this is such an obvious win for them because you can present ROI, one would assume. 
Yeah, we spent now maybe 45 minutes uh, speaking about you know, the strategy of a life insurance company without saying any name of any model of you know, any data science technique. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that that's the key. Like, you know, we, we could have spent 45 minutes now talking about how a random forest model is better or worse than a regression model than a newer network. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a super interesting discussion and we would love to have that as well with different people in the organization. Yeah. Um, the question is, how do, you, how do you talk about, okay, so, so what is, like, for example, the discussion we have with Guardian or the discussion we have with other companies, what is the issues with, what are the issues with those non-assigned policies? How do they get non-assigned? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you reach out to them? Who, who is commissioned for working on those policies? What's the relationship with the old agent? Like, all of those information points would fit into a model eventually that will run through the policy orders and come up with the right recommendations. Mm. But that's the, you know, that, that's the technical slide that's probably worth walking through an actuary, you know, the IT department, the data science department, the marketing department, not necessarily the senior management and, and, and the C-suite. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I know your audience stuff. So, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you, see, you, you work in this part, working in really big partnerships quite a lot of the time, you know, most of, most of the time you're building these, and you've mentioned a few of those partnerships. How do you make an effective business to business partnership in your experience? Um, you know, what makes a, what makes a good one? And, and, you know, how do you make it work? So we actually spent a lot of time uh, understanding where a one plus one makes three. Um, and it's a, uh, it's not an easy process, especially when, you know, it's like a, a fly and an elephant, uh, you know, sitting in that room. Um, but we invest in this effort thinking creatively, like what, what, are the, what are the core assets that the other side of the table has? Um, what's important for them? What's going to move their needle? Uh, what's important for us? What can we influence, et cetera, et cetera, and come up with a strategy where this partnership works. Um, it, it doesn't always happen. Uh, but for example, when we, when we met with our pipeline, it took us, I think, a little bit over a year to come up with the right ideas that made sense mm-hmm. um, and understand what's the right angle what, that we want to operate on. Um, and we end up understanding that what iPipeline has is a very unique data set. And uh, this data set is because they process about 60, 70% of the policies in, the, in, in North America um, and a huge part in the UK as well. And then the data they see is unique because they see an angle the insurance company doesn't you know, usually see. They see the broker. Mm-hmm. Um, and we spend a lot of time, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough process. Like, you know, you, you have like 20 drafts that, not going to see the light of day. Um, but eventually you come up with a draft that says, okay, so this is the data. This is the model. This is the insight that's going to interest somebody. Can we come up with this insight? Does the data support this insight, et cetera, et cetera. And then you come up with a product that says, for example, that this product that is, that is focused on how do you benchmark yourself against the market's performance on distribution, operation, risk, pricing, et cetera. Because the angle that you do not see 
is what the broker does with the policy order. And iPipeline to see that. And by using our models, you can marry your view and this and that view, and then come up with a conclusion that you currently do not have. You currently don't have an answer to the question, you know, what other offers did the client see? Or what other, you know, or, or what was, uh, I'll give an example of one of the things that we were able to analyze together. Uh, we were able to analyze together, um, look at cycle time and placement ratio of different policies that were placed. How much time it takes to, pl to place a policy and what's the probability for the policy to, to be in, on the books. Mm -hmm. And so there is a short window of time where probably policy order lost interest uh, because placement ratio drops dramatically. And it's uh, in, in, in the case of that specific data was the 55th day. After 55 days, the customer lost interest, which makes sense, two months. Um, and the policy is not going to get placed. Mm -hmm. And then usually an insurance company, when they think about processing, they say, okay, so we need to beat this number. But they don't have the view of what are the other numbers in the market that they need to beat. And they don't have the view of when will the customer lose interest. Um, and, and by marrying the two data sets, now it becomes a more interesting discussion where the company can say, okay, I'm going to ask you for more medical requirements because I need it for my underwriting, which is fair, your, your decision, your underwriting, you know, you, you can do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Have in mind that this next medical requirement is going to cost you on average three more days and you need to beat this 55 day mark. Um, so if you want to do that, just make sure that you have the resources to come back with the conclusion in time because you need to squeeze that time somewhere else. Otherwise, the customer would lose interest. So if you want to ask more requirements, if you are able to process those requirements you know, instantly, go ahead and do what you want. But if not, make sure that you understand that you might lose the customer. Um, and, and then it brings a perspective that the insurance company didn't have previously when they were thinking about those decisions. Mm. Yeah, 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 love, yeah, greater insight and understand the customer. The, 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 I was wanting to understand, I was just thinking as you were saying that about kind of the, the, the different data sets. How much does, how much does regulation play um, and how much has that impacted what you've been able to do? Um, because obviously a highly regulated industry. Um, yeah, how, how have you navigated that field or, or, or has it not been that difficult for you? So obviously privacy and uh, data security are, uh, are an area where we invest a lot in making sure that, you know, we're staying in the, in, in, in the right zone. Um, we spend a lot of time speaking to regulators all across the world to make sure that, you know, we're not doing things that might be perceived as unethical in any way. Mm -hmm. um, and anything we do is like, you know, is keeping the customer's privacy, the broker's privacy, um, the, the carriers, the insurer, insurer's privacy, and so on and so forth. One of the things it does not allow us to do is to, is to run the analysis. We run an analysis on a policyholder level, but we would not go and source your data. We would look at your um, zip code or postcode data. We would look at financials in your region. We would look at you know, many other stats, but we cannot go into your Facebook, we cannot go into your LinkedIn, we cannot go into your social media, we cannot go into you know, all of those things 
because the insurance company didn't get a consent from you to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a limitation um, to the amount of personalization you, you know you could do because of that. On the other hand, you keep the customer's privacy, um, and it is changing slightly between you know the California regulation, New York regulation, the UK regulation, the EU's regulation, the Israeli regulation, and so on and so forth. Yeah, I think that's why I was kind of leaning towards. It's like that. That's that must be a big. That changing landscape must be a, a big challenge for a business like yours, um, or certainly a consideration that, um, um, yeah, that you, you must have to keep abreast of. Which is 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 it, is it a particular challenge? Yeah, I think um, th- there was one um, hurdle that I think most companies kind of were able to to overcome, which is get data on a cloud like environment. Mm get it out of the basement and put it on somewhere that it could be processed. Um, so that, that was a, that was a hurdle a few years ago mm-hmm. and it's currently not as much. Um, and that's probably one of the biggest upsides of COVID that people understood that data needs to be accessed digitally. Yeah. Um, I, and I, yeah, Sorry. I was just going to say COVID was frightening listening to some people that worked in really pretty big organizations and you were going, Oh yeah, but we need to have access to this you know hard drive and you think really <laughs> you know like <laughs> we we heard the funny stories when covid started when when covid started there's there still a lot of companies that get premium paid cash like you know cash in in, in envelopes wow. and they had to reroute mail to the mailroom employees because they were getting envelopes with cash then they got to the problem of you know mailroom employees living in you know an apartment with tons of money <laughs> <laughs> getting mailed to them every day and they need to hire like security team to come and pick up this money from the mailroom employees wow and it's like <laughs> we speak about fintech all day long and then you get stuck with people getting mailed tens of thousands of dollars <laughs> premium <laughs> to their apartment houses and a security team need to come and pick this up I didn't realize that there, there were that many opportunities for crime in the pandemic. That's a, I, I missed a trick. Um, <laughs> I'm really conscious we, we're just about to hit the hour mark. So I, I just wanted to wrap things up. But I always like to kind of close things out on, you know, draw. It'd be really like, you know, thank you so much for being a guest. I want to obviously say that. And, um, you know, what developments have you got coming up? Is there, are there any new territories? Are there sort of new products that you're going to be focusing on in the next kind of 12 months? Um, yeah, so uh, in, in the next 12 months, one of the, um, we mentioned the Guardian relationship that's going to um, go live um, in the next few weeks. I think when this podcast is aired, then uh, it's, it's already live, um, which, is, which is, we are very much excited about. Um, and the team is growing. So uh, if, uh, if you're a software developer, a data, science, a data scientist, or you know, any other profession and have interest in insurance, and reach out to us. Um, and uh, we're also expanding both our US operation as well as our EMEA operation, as well as our Israeli operation. Uh, so there's a lot of things coming up and uh, stay tuned. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Well, I'll, I'll put um, I'll put some links as, as well. So if, you, if, if there are any machine learning, data science people out there that want to kind of um, uh, get in touch, I'll put the link in the below in the show notes. Um, because uh, I work in recruitment, so I should do. I'm, that, that's, that's my field. That's where I can help. But, Draw, thank you once again. I really appreciate your time. No, thank you.
As always, this podcast is brought to you by FinPro Search Partners, often simply known as FinPro. FinPro is an executive recruitment business working in the insurance and insure tech space on an international basis. If you would like to find out more about FinPro, please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com or our FinPro company page on LinkedIn. I've been your host, Alex Bond, and I would personally love to connect with anyone who is interested in the changing world of insurance. So feel free to reach out to me directly, um, either on LinkedIn or via my email, uh, alex at wearefinpro.com. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, and I hope to see you back next week. Thank you.